Hi, this is Ann Cavera with another episode of Speeding Past 80. This week's episode is called Taking the Long Way Home. It's a little different. Many of you know that my husband Jim has Alzheimer's and we're making this journey together here at home. So for relatives, friends, caregivers, and anyone else who'd like to know how we're doing, here's an update. Lately, I've been trying to make sense of the phases of this illness. Um, I'm trying to understand where we are and where this is going. Some say Alzheimer's can be broken into three stages, early, moderate, and late. I would guess maybe we're on the tail end of the moderate phase. But in thinking this through, I've come up with some new phases. The first phase I came up with is called the that's odd phase. And for us, it started about 11 years ago. As in, you can't remember who that couple is? That's odd. They ate supper with us last week. Or you just call the TV remote a changer thingy. That's odd. Or no, we turn left here, not right, to get to the grocery store. Odd you didn't remember that. Well, we're getting older. Little glitches happen once in a while, and we brush them off. These kind of odd moments that happen once in a while are easy to just pass off as, well, we're getting older. The second phase is one I call, what's going on here? We begin asking ourselves if something might be going wrong. Things like, you just mixed up the grandkids' names. You know the difference, right? Well, we're tired. It's normal to forget things once in a while. You know, your dad did the same thing and he lived to be more than 90. Nothing to worry about here. We made a lot of excuses. The third phase is one I called the, is this really happening phase? Jim began asking me how things worked. His computer skills had always been better than mine, but he forgot how to do what he needed to do on the computer. He no longer remembered how to chop the vegetables for the stir-fry he liked to make. He didn't want to learn to text. He refused to get a new cell phone. In fact, he refused to learn anything new. Words for familiar objects became impossible to find on a daily basis. We knew something was definitely wrong, but we told ourselves we'll be fine as long as it doesn't get any worse. Phase four, it gets worse. Jim had always been our principal driver. At the beginning of this phase, he was still driving. From the passenger's seat, I kept my eyes glued on the road. I warned him when lights turned or a stop sign was coming up. I began telling him where to make turns. We had a couple of close calls. But I don't know how to tell him he can't drive. One Sunday after church, we're in the car on a busy street. The light ahead is green, but he must wait for oncoming traffic before he makes his left-hand turn. Jim slowed the car. I think he's going to stop. And he doesn't. An elderly woman hit the right rear side of our car. We were so fortunate no one was hurt, but the car is a total loss. I have to tell him he can no longer drive, and he 
takes this a lot better than I expected. Life goes on. Somewhere along the line, we entered phase five. This is the phase I call the please God no phase. Jim is a deacon at our church. One ash Wednesday, he stopped reading mid-sentence. He can't make sense of the words. My heart breaks. After a painful, silent minute, he stumbled on and managed to finish. The car accident and inability to read sent us to large medical facilities. There were psychological tests, x-rays, a PET scan, an MRI, and then the neurologist words, this is Alzheimer's. Hearing those words is like standing at the top of an abyss and being shoved from behind. How can it be that my husband, who drove us through rush hour traffic in Chicago, is now unable to drive to the grocery store in our small town? How is it that my husband, who once read thick biographies, is now unable to finish his crossword puzzles? Our Please God No phase began about four years ago. We flew out to see our daughter then. She lives in California. I realized Jim could no longer navigate an airport. He still spent hours every day reading large print books, even though it would take him a week or two to finish. These days, I try to measure things by what he could do a few days ago that he can't do now. I count our losses in days. A few weeks ago, he could still shave himself. Now he has no idea how to hold the razor or what to do with it. We live moment by moment. Still, I count us as fortunate and blessed. Jim has never been angry, abusive, or contentious, like so many others we've heard who have this illness. He remains calm, kind, and gracious, just as he has always been. We laugh a lot about small things. The other night I put broccoli on his plate. This is a vegetable we have eaten together for 56 years. He took one bite and pushed it away. In the strongest tone of voice I've heard him use in a long time, he said, I don't like this. I don't want it. I said, what? You've waited 56 years to tell me you don't like broccoli? You could have saved yourself a lot of broccoli if you'd mentioned that sooner. We both laughed. A few days ago, he indicated with hand gestures and stumbling words that he had questions. We sat together, and with gestures, nods, halting words, he managed to make me understand what was going on in his mind. He asked, Do I have a wife? I smiled, raised my hand, and said, You certainly do, and your wife is me. With his hands, he indicated, How long? Fifty-six years, I told him. He smiled and seemed relieved and glad. I was so happy he was pleased to know that I was his wife. What if he'd been shocked and upset? That would have been a terrible moment. Next, he wanted to know my name. Anne, I said, knowing we might have the same conversation tomorrow and the day after. Jim began rubbing his forehead. Something's wrong in here, he says. I found it best to keep answers very simple, so I said, yes, you're having memory problems. Next, he wanted to know, will it go back? To normal, I assumed he meant. 
I shook my head. After 56 years, I'm not about to start lying to him now. No, I said, but we're fine and we're happy here. Did you know we have four children? Would you like to see their pictures? An incredible look of joy and wonder spreads across his face. I take him to the picture wall and introduce him to each of our children. He is amazed. We go next to the pictures of the grandchildren. He is so happy that we have all of these people in our lives. They're wonderful people, I tell him. We have a wonderful life. The look of absolute, incredible joy stayed on his face. Tomorrow he will remember none of this. Tomorrow I will begin another day in the phase of please God help. Tomorrow he will ask me what day it is six or seven times. Tomorrow I will find his coffee cup again where he has placed it carefully in the laundry basket. If life is a school for love, then illnesses like cancers, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's may be the toughest courses. Still, I believe there are great gifts hidden in these days. Perhaps there are other phases. Whether or not I'm capable of reaching those other phases, I have no idea. Today I'm learning to focus on what really matters. Is it more important to clean the refrigerator or sit outdoors on the swing and enjoy this warm autumn afternoon? If I can just accept that where we are right now is where I am supposed to be, if I can let go of life's oughts and shoulds, there may be room for inner peace. In acceptance, there can be joy and gratitude for all we have together. It's in letting go that I'm finding please God no might become please God maybe or even okay God, let me see what you have for us today. I don't know how long this journey will be. I only hope we make it together in love and peace. I'll let you know down the road what we find. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I began reviewing middle grade novels that parents and grandparents might want to give as Christmas gifts. This week's middle grade novel is Kate DeCamello's The Beatrice Prophecy, with illustrations by Sophie Blackhall. Published in 2021 by Candlewick, Beatrice is a child with a keen mind who turns up asleep next to Answelica, a stubborn goat with a hard head, sharp teeth, and a mind of her own. The story begins at the Order of the Chronicles of Sorrowing, where Brother Edic sees beauty everywhere as he illuminates pages and keeps track of prophecies. There's a medieval flavor to this story, though it's definitely a fairy tale. The prophecy says that a girl child will unseat the king. Of course, there are those who would be glad to see this happen, and those who want to make certain this is one prophecy that's never fulfilled. De Camello's language is lyrical. The story is told with wit and wisdom. There's much wisdom to hold on to in the words, We shall all in the end be led to where we belong. We shall all, in the end, find our way home. DiCamillo has a gentle way of illuminating characters both good and bad. The Beatrice of Prophecy makes a great story to read aloud to third or fourth graders, as well as a cozy read-alone book for children in grades three through seven. Thanks again for listening. Please join us next week for another episode of Speeding Past 80.